The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Who's rising? Who's falling? Let's talk about it. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Wednesday, January 20, uh, 12th, not 20th. Don't want to jump the gun yet. I am Frank Stanfield, joined by my buddies, Scott White and Chris Towers. And congrats to Scott. First, we get the Atlanta Braves. We... He, he gets the Atlanta Braves. Now the Georgia Bulldogs win the national championship. Congrats to you, Scotty. Thank you, Frank. Yeah, it's a strange feeling. This is, I, I imagine this is sort of what uh, a Boston area fan must have felt like 15, 20 years ago, where it's like, man, I'm just so used to being um, sports sports fan victim. <laughs> that now I don't know what to do with this run of success. But, like, you can't play that card anymore. It really ever again, if you think about it, I am at roughly the midpoint of my life. Not to jinx it or anything. I hope a little longer. (laughs) Maybe a little longer, but, you know. About halfway through the average life expectancy, and then I get this happen to my teams winning in the same year. So I think... I think I'll be dead before I have a chance oh to accrue gosh. that kind of sports victim currency again. I, I don't think I'll ever, ever have the chance to experience where I was prior to these uh, championships for two of the three teams that I hold dear. As long and, as you don't, uh, you know, do the Boston sports fan thing where you're like, we're still the underdogs and like, don't, yeah. don't do that thing. You know, I, I remember... <laughs> no. It's probably five or six years ago. I was talking to someone who's just a, a little bit younger than me. And he was doing like a Boston sports fans. You know, we, we've been through a lot of heartache. And it's like, this guy was like 26 at the time. <laughs> and like the Red Sox won in 2004. So he was like 14. And I mean, really, even going back to the Patriots in 2001, he was like seven. The last time that like Boston hadn't won a bunch of championships, you don't get to co-op your parents' grief for your personality. All right. Yeah. Must yeah. be nice. Must be nice, Scotty. I, I mean, I have oh, no idea on. what it feels like oh, to win. Oh, oh, come on. <laughs> I mean, uh, really, you only root for one good team. You are correct. And yeah. they haven't won in like 14 years. I Yeah, no. In all seriousness, I, look, I've seen enough in my life. That's totally fine. But. I'm in a bit of a drought. I mean, the Yankees, the Jets, the Knicks, it's, it's kind we of... Love, oh, I forgot you were a Jets We fan. love to see it. 
We really love to see. I forgot you were a Jets fan. That is tough. Yeah, it's a little tough. Uh, yeah, I mean Yankees. Like, yeah, it the has Ranger- been an un- it has been an unusually long drought for them. The though. Rangers won one when you were a kid, right? I were you born? Don't know a single thing about hockey, Chris. Wayne Gretzky. Who's that? Uh, Chris, it's it's really cold in, in New York right now. How how you doing? How are you holding up? I had to turn off my space heater under my desk when we started the podcast because it was making too much noise. And yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. Um, my dog, for some reason today, decided he needed to go out like four times. And uh, <laughs> real jerk move by Steven. Yeah, pets. But just, yeah, it's fine. It's the, fine. the dog's name is Steven? Stevie Nicks. But wow. we call him Steve okay. or Stevie or Stove. That's right. it, it always kind of weirds me out, pets Steven. that are given like human names, like really ordinary. <laughs> but you're naming it after celebrities, and that's a little different, I guess. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like, it's like having a dog named Barry or something. I, I, that's just the first name that came to my head. But pets have a, a, a weird way of trolling humans. It, it happens quite often. <laughs> and and speaking David. of which, David. there's there's David <laughs> like Bowie, she, for those who are uh, watching here on our YouTube channel. came and hissed in Chris's ear. <laughs> I'm sorry for calling it an it, by the way. Uh, Today on the podcast, we are going to talk about the biggest ADP risers and fallers since the lockout began that's using NFBC ADP. And I have a few, hey, real quick items before we actually get to those things. (laughs) Chris, don't don't get yourself, uh, don't injure yourself there with with David Boy. That seems, I hear the purring in the microphone. That is amazing. Um, Mention the lockout, Scott. Speaking of the lockout, we've got some movement here. MLB is scheduled to make a new core economics proposal to the Players Association this Thursday. And I'm sure that there will be a lot of this kind of back and forth, but it's progress. And, you know, trying to remain positive here. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I uh, we were just talking, was it just yesterday? Uh, the last podcast where I was saying, well, hopefully it's actually before the end of the month and they're just trying not to overpromise and underdeliver. And I didn't really believe myself when I said that, but it looks like uh, that 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 may be the case. Now, it doesn't mean they're going to be anywhere close to an agreement yet, but uh, I, I would rather see them at least working to get there as opposed to not doing anything for weeks at a time. Yeah, very happy to see this movement. Hey, real quick, number two, and I'll throw this one your way, Chris. Camden Yards is apparently changing their dimensions to help reduce home runs, 277 home runs were hit in Baltimore last season, by far the most in baseball. It doesn't help that their pitching is routinely crap. It's not very good. I think we could say that. Uh, but they're raising the left field wall from 7 to 12 feet and apparently are planning to push that wall back as far as 30 feet from home plate. So could help John Means, and it could hurt right-handed power like Ryan Mountcastle and Trey Mancini. Chris, any thoughts here on Camden? I know I'm not Chris, but 30 feet? I hate like, it. 10 is a lot. 30? I mean, raising your, your left field wall from 7 to 12 feet is quite a bit. I mean, yeah. that's pushing into like, is it no progressive? That's not what it's called anymore, right? Uh, yeah, it's progressive field. It might uh, be. What, we're, we're Cleveland. That's, play. that's taller than 12, but yeah. But yeah, you're starting to get into that kind of area and i mean 30 feet is a really long way i don't they're gonna have to remove the bullpens and all that stuff i i don't know i would guess it's gonna be kind of angled and so it'll be 30 feet back in one spot but not quite as long everywhere else but right it's bad news for right-handed hitters in baltimore now the good news is there aren't that many of them who matter 
Um, I would expect this doesn't really hurt like Cedric Mullins, especially because I'm not expecting him to hit 30 home runs again. And it's the stolen bases and the, and you know, the overall production that really helps him. But now I, I, haven't, I, have, I haven't, I haven't to look into this. I haven't to look into this. So if I can yes. give the numbers, uh, Mullins hit 22 of his 30 home runs at home last year, but only one was to left field. He pulled almost all of them. On the other hand, Ryan Mountcastle and Trey Mancini both hit about two-thirds of their home runs at home. Uh, and I didn't look to see how many they pulled, but I assume it was the majority. They're, they're right-handed hitters, unlike Mullins. So, yeah, um, pretty worried for them. Pretty hopeful for John Means, who's an extreme fly ball pitcher. Yes. Um yeah, I think no it's good idea. news for John Means. For I have sure. no idea how that park is going to play now. I mean, that's 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 I, I've never heard of a team like Chris said. Thirty feet is the maximum they're going to. It's not going to be uniformly moved thirty feet back, mm-hmm. but still, that's if if I when I when I was looking into how many feet it was being pushed back, I was prepared to be shocked if it was as many as fifteen. You know, yeah. thirty. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Again, and that's as much as 30 feet. Like that's the furthest they can push. It. I don't know if they're going to push it actually that far, but it's, you know, that's the number that's being thrown out there right now. So uh, definitely would, would not hurt John Means. I would think it probably hurts Trey Mancini a little bit more than Ryan Mountcastle, just because at least based on last year, he was a little more middling when it comes to like the quality of contact and, and stuff like that. But you know, both of them ranked well above average in terms of, you know, barrel rate and expected slug and, and stuff like that. So I think Mancini was a little more in the just average range. But I think, look, it's it's easy to overreact to this kind of thing, but you have to remember it's half their games. And, you know, they'll still hit home runs to the to center. They'll still still hit home runs the other way. Like, it's not... It's not like it's – I would expect maybe a difference of like three home runs in expected uh, output, but even that, you know. I'm, the I'm problem curious. with home runs is they're such a rare event that it's hard to separate noise from what the actual impact would be anyway. Um, I I just don't like it. Like this kind of thing where – like, oh, we're losing because of our park. Well, your opponents play there too. And so whatever effect it has, you would think. And I've seen someone say, well, they've been drafting a lot of left-handed hitters. And I don't know. Like, I don't think you'd change the – maybe you just change the park every 15 years, depending on what the upcoming crop of players looks like. But I don't know. It just – it seems like a solution in search of a problem for Baltimore. And – uh People like home runs. Yeah, they they do indeed. Um, I don't have an issue with it, you know, like trying to get closer to a neutral park. I was reading more about it, and they've they have the most home runs hit in, in Camden Yards than any other park in there since they've opened in 1992. So you know that I think there's only like eight or nine other parks that have been open yeah. since that time period, but they have the most home runs hit in their park. So they're you know they're trying to rectify that somewhat. Again, their pitching hasn't been good, so that's a that's part of the problem. But uh, maybe this can go towards helping those pitchers. Let's get into ADP risers and fallers here for those wondering how many drafts are actually happening right now. So from October 1st through November 30th, there were 42 drafts done over at the NFBC from December 1st on post lockout. There have been 72 drafts done. So 
I would say a decent amount of data. 42 drafts early versus 72 drafts uh, since December 1st. And I conjured up the data. Thank you, Chris, for <laughs> teaching me how to do some things on Excel to figure this out. And uh, yeah, found out the the biggest rise. Lookup gang. Yes, V lookup, uh, and it has completely changed my life. I'm gonna. I told Chris that he's kind of he's woken a sleeping giant because I have all these different kind of things that I want to look into now. And that's continuing Al Melchior's uh, his impact on CBS Fantasy because he taught me that one like eight years ago. Oh well, thank you, thank you, Al Melchior. And speaking of which, I need to know. I need you're gonna have to teach me too. I don't even know what it does, but it, <laughs> Frank is the way Frank is uh, gushing about it. It must be good. Uh, Scott, I'm going to share a lot. This is going to make me a lot less valuable to the company. <laughs> I'm going to share a few Google Sheets with you, Scotty, and and it kind of I have everything in one place now. It's 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 fun. It's it's fun when you're trying to look at a bunch of data together for a bunch of different players. But anyway, the biggest risers. We'll kind of move quickly. Keyword quickly through some of these players, um, and then the the movement inside the top 50, 150 players. Uh, then we'll spend a little bit more time on those. But first up, the biggest riser during this stretch has been Corey Knebel, who unsurprisingly he signed a one year, ten million dollar deal with the Phillies just before December, and expected as of now to be the Phillies closer. We don't know if they're going to make any other moves after the lockout ends, but he was very good in 2021, 25.2 innings, but a 2.45 ERA, 0.97 whip over 10 Ks per nine. And the velocity on the fastball was much closer to where he was pre Tommy John surgery. So Scott, are you assuming as of now that Corey Knable is the closer for the Phillies? Yeah, I think, well, obviously, the, the change in ADP would suggest that that's, that is the widespread assumption. And I think Dave Dombrowski even said after the signing, I can't find the quote now, but um, I, he, he said they're not, they're not in the market for a closer after the signing happened, Some, something like that. I'm, it's not a direct quote, but that was, that was the gist of it. And, uh, of course, Corey Knebel's been pretty high in closer in the past before Tommy John surgery. And it's not like you look at the Phillies roster and I guess Jose Alvarado, that, that could be an alternative, but they, they've, they've, uh, that's been tried a few times already and it hasn't gone well. So Hector Neris is gone, obviously Ian Kennedy. He wasn't, he, that really didn't work out after they got him and now he's a free agent. So, uh, yeah, I think Corey Knebel is the odds-on favorite to begin as the Phillies closer. Chris, you- I could see him making like an Ian Kennedy-esque impact for fantasy, at least before the the trade, the kind of season he was having. He missed three months with a lat injury. That's something to keep in mind. But I guess the fact that it's not related to his shoulder or elbow is probably a good sign in that regard. But you know, we've, we've seen him be an elite fantasy closer for one year. We've seen him be a good fantasy closer for one other year. So it's it's hard to know how he's going to hold up to pitching every other day or pitching multiple days in a row, that kind of stuff. But it's a very exciting skill set. He looked really good last season when we did see him. So I think there's reasons to be optimistic about him. Yeah, and the swinging strike rate really got back on track too, 12.7%. Last time we saw him healthy back in 2018, that was 13.2%. So not in the same range as other elite relievers, but close to where he was when you know he was a high-end closer a couple of years ago. This next one is obviously 
an interesting situation. It's Marcelo Zuna, who's moved up 103 spots to pick 200, and he was given a retroactive 20-game suspension for violating the league's domestic violence policy and not trying to make light of that situation, but I think eventually we're going to have to talk about the realistic possibility that Marcelo Zuna is going to be playing baseball this upcoming season with the Atlanta Braves or with another team. I assume as of now, it's going to be with the Braves because he's still on their roster. But in the shortened season... He was amazing. He was the number one outfielder in Roto. He was the seventh overall player, 338 batting average, 16 homers, 56 RBI in 60 games. Uh, Chris, I think... 18 homers. 18 homers. 18 home runs. Yeah, over over 60... What did I say? 16. 16. Okay. Well, yeah, he had 18 home runs. Um, and Chris, I think this this move is warranted. And you know, I think if we get more confirmation that he's, he's going to play, he's probably going to move up even more. Yeah, I mean, right now we just don't know what the Braves' plans are for him, whether they intend to welcome him back, whether they intend to welcome him back as an everyday player. Um, But we've seen, you know, Odubel Herrera is someone who had a domestic violence uh, suspension, and the Phillies ultimately did bring him back. It's a different organization. I don't know if the Braves have any similar situations, but, you know, this is part of the job, right? Like if there if there's a player who's out there, we have to talk about him if he's going to be fantasy relevant. From what we've seen, Marcelo Zuna can be very very relevant for fantasy. Um, You know, his upside is probably very similar to Nick Castellanos. And if we knew he was going to be active and playing a full season, I'm not sure how much further down you'd rank him than someone like Castellanos. Definitely lower. Yeah, but so. Like the upside we've seen from Ozuna is really, really high. I have him. How much did he end up playing this past year? Like two months? Forty-eight games. Yeah, he was it pretty was, pretty bad in those games. It yeah, was, was very bad. It was close to the sixty-game sample from the mm-hmm. previous year, and it it was it was not good. And he's he's had a he's had an up and down career. I have him. I have him forty seventh right now, and that that is kind of a fence straddling ranking which i try to avoid but obviously this is a particularly unusual circumstance my read on things is that he will be a part of the team in 2022 and i'm mostly basing that on uh the statement that the braves released when uh, when MLB revealed the penalties for Ozuna and that it was a retroactive suspension. And then as far as they were concerned, he was allowed to play again. The statement was, any instance of domestic violence is unacceptable and we fully support the decision by the commissioner's office regarding Marcel. We are encouraged to know that Marcel has accepted full responsibilities for his, for his actions and is taking the necessary measures to learn and grow from the situation. Reading between the lines... That that sounds like they're willing to have him back. So that's that's kind of what I'm thinking. And if and if that's true, I'll have to move him up from 47th in my outfield rankings. But he would probably still be outside my top 30. Yeah, I could see. You know, if we get confirmation that he's going to play again, the ADP since December 1st is right around pick 200. He, I, I he probably moves up another. 75 spots, you know, gets inside the top 150, but uh, we'll see what happens with that situation. Chris, last year we made fun of you because you would always recommend Alex Cobb for the stream of the day, and it turns out that you were just, you were forward-thinking. You were ahead of all of us because 
He signs with the San Francisco Giants, which can you really find a better place to sign as a starting pitcher right now? He has moved up 58 spots since December 1st uh, at up to pick 270. So he's still going pretty late. Uh, late round flyer, sleeper with upside right now. And last year he was good. 376 ERA, 126 whip, 98 strikeouts, over 93 and a third innings pitched, over a 50% ground ball rate, uh, over a strikeout per inning, which I mentioned, 11.2 swinging strike rate. And the splitter is the bread and butter pitch. 20% swinging strike rate or better on that splitter, three straight seasons. The Giants have a way with pitchers like this, Chris. Well, I think first of all, we should um, we should show some respect to the pitch because I believe it is referred to as the thing. <laughs> um, so let's because it's it's not really like a true splitter, but it's not really a changeup. It's not like the it's not like Kevin Gosman splitter, you know. Um, but yeah, the peripherals last season were quite good. Um, that was a big part of why I was interested in him. He had a three three eight X FIP, two nine two FIP. Um, Sierra was right in that range, three eight three. Um, so yeah, I think you kind of look at the collective, and you know maybe the the Giants can give him a little more help than the Angels did, and maybe he can be a fantasy relevant starting pitcher. I think he's probably not someone who's worth moving inside of the top fifty just because the position is deep. But, you know, after that, I think in the, the 60 to 70 range, there's there's upside there for with Alex Cobb. We have to see him stay healthy, too. He hasn't thrown sure. more than 100 innings since 2018 when he threw 152. So hopefully he can mm. uh, get back on track there. The Giants have done a great job with these reclamation projects. Anthony DeScofani, obviously Kevin Gosman, who's no longer with the team. But, man, they, um, they've really done a, they, a really good job with they, these pitchers. You could say they're the anti-Orioles, which is where he was playing before. <laughs> where if a pitcher signs with the Orioles, you generally just, well, we'll see that guy when he gets out of Baltimore, maybe. Oh, I, I was just going to, oh, Jordan Lyles was the pitcher <laughs> that they signed in the offseason. I was going to, well, there goes Jordan Lyles. I guess we can't draft him. Uh, next one up here is Connor Joe. He's up 54 spots to pick 343. I'm taking credit for this one because I've talked about Connor Joe multiple times on this podcast in the offseason, Scott. We had Justin Mason on, and he was all over Cedric Mullins last year. I was like, oh, who's this year's Cedric Mullins? And I, I mentioned Lane Thomas as a possibility. I like him quite a bit. And I mentioned Connor Joe. He was leading I thought off. I mentioned Connor Joe. Maybe I thought that was my pick. I don't know. Maybe you did. You agreed maybe, with me. Maybe we both did. But I, I do like <laughs> Connor Joe quite a bit. And he's yeah. like Frank Schwindel, 29-year-old journeyman. He's performed well in the minors. And he was good last year. Played 63 games, 285 batting average, 8 homers, and 848 OPS. Walks a lot. Didn't strike out much. Lots of line drives. He was leading off for the Rockies. Scott, I think he just continues to move up especially if we get any confirmation that he is going to play every day for the team. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really what it all rests on for me is because he had, he had entered that place where, okay, he's our leadoff hitter. He did such a good job. I forget who he was filling in for. I think it was maybe Charlie Blackman. I forget who was injured. He was came in as an injury replacement and uh, you know, they decided to keep him in the line if they were even going to play him in center field. Uh, and then he got, hurt right away and missed the rest of the season. So we didn't we didn't get to see that narrative play out in a in a natural way and of course the Rockies the Rockies aren't known for their decision making particularly when it comes to uh 
the fantasy game. And uh, so you don't want to you don't want to put too much faith in them to to make the right decision here. But of course, anyone anyone who gets a chance to play regularly at Coors Field is going to have sleeper appeal, especially one who made the kind of impact he did last year for the couple months he was around, and especially one who throughout not just what we saw of him last year, but his minor league career, exceptional plate discipline for Connor Joe. He's not it's not another Sam Hilliard situation where he's just going to bury himself in strikeouts. So. Mm-hmm you know, p- potential to be a big sleeper here. You know, forgive me, but I, you know, obviously I, I wasn't on the podcast late last season. So I have to ask, where did he come from? Just, where did he go? Like, where did he come from? <laughs> Connor Joe. <laughs> oh, Chris. Yeah. Uh, sorry. Let's move on to the next this is, one. This is what you've been missing, folks. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, this was an element of the podcast that we were definitely missing. I'm not sure that Scott and I were coming up with, um, Dr. Seuss Rhymes. <laughs> uh, next one up here is O'Neill Cruz. He's up 34 spots to pick 229. I, I tweeted out a, a screenshot of you know the biggest risers in ADP, and someone actually responded to me that in their most recent two drafts that O'Neill Cruz was drafted in the 150 to 175 range, which is is just bonkers in my opinion. I think this is just solely based on the steamer projection, Scott, where people are just kind of freaking out because... He's projected for 281 batting average, 20 homers, 14 steals, over 110 wow. games. Like, mm-hmm. on a per-game basis, that is a, a near-star player for fantasy. So I, I'm not sure that he's going to get there. Again, he's a highly regarded prospect. I don't want to downplay that possibility, but these yeah. projections are pretty lofty for him. It's the 281 batting average that really gets me. Like, he's not going to hit 281. I feel I feel very confident saying... That a six foot seven rookie is not going to hit 281. Uh, the strikeouts were surprisingly not bad throughout his minor league career, considering his size. But they got worse every step up the ladder, and they weren't great by the end of his minor league career. However, he had developed monster power potential by the end, as you know, many scouts thought he would. Uh, he, he was a viable base stealer. I still think 14 and 110 games is probably about as optimistic as you could hope for there, but he'll be a, he'll be some, some bit of a factor in stolen bases, but then, you know, uh, there's also the hurdle of playing time. He did come up at the end of last year for two games. He, he uh, hit the hardest, he, he hit a ball harder than any pirates player ever has in the stat cast era in those two games. So, you know, he made an impression. But he still has to win a job in spring training, and considering the Pirates aren't competing for anything, I don't know. I, I don't think that's a sure thing. Now, I mean, the projection has him for only 110 games, so I guess it's not saying that either. But to target him in drafts, you're obviously hoping he does. Blake Trinan, next one up here. He's up 32 spots to pick 182. And Scott, I think this is partially closers getting pushed up in this format right now. And uh, I think people just believing there's a realistic chance that Kenley Jansen could sign elsewhere this offseason. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Look, any any free agent who hasn't signed yet, and this pains me to say as a Braves fan who has never wanted a player to stick around more than I want Freddie Freeman to stick around, it I, I would say that any player who didn't sign before the lockout, there are 
real questions as to to what's what the market looks like for him. And uh, it's you know the Dodgers have seemed content to bring Kenley Jansen back multiple times in the past, uh, but maybe that's not so true anymore. And and Blake Trinan, like he had a huge season as a setup man. You know, he had that one great year as a closer in Oakland where he looked like the best reliever in baseball and then kind of regressed. It was more of a, you know, back to being more sort of a middle reliever type. But he he was dominant again last year, uh, more more so than, than you know, Jansen had a fine year. But I, w- I would say Blake Trinan was even better. So I, I could see the Dodgers going that route. Um, it, it'd be kind of weird for the Dodgers to promote a backup closer to closer because they're the Dodgers, but you know, they let Corey Seager go and, and, um, didn't they let somebody else go too? Mm. I don't know. They haven't, they haven't been behaving in very Dodgers like ways. They re-signed Chris Taylor, which is kind of a move they did once, uh, Corey Seager signed with the Rangers. Did they lose Mm. anyone else? Uh, I don't think so. I know, I know they signed Cody Bellinger to a one-year deal. I think that was some kind of like avoiding arbitration type thing. So, uh, yeah, I, look, I, I think it's. I think you're right. It would be weird to see them kind of promote a backup, but in this case, I mean, the backup is pretty damn good, and he has closing mm-hmm. experience. So yeah, Blake Trinan this past season, one point nine nine ERA, zero point nine eight WHIP. He was awesome. They let Scherzer say, go to the Mets. That's what I was thinking. Right? How, how can we forget Max Scherzer? You know, I will say with him, um, if they bring back, sorry, I. My train of thought got derailed. Kenley Jansen. <laughs> if they bring back Kenley Jansen, I would bet Kenley Jansen's still going to be the closer, though. Yeah. Oh, for like, sure. Yeah, I, for that, sure. That's, it's one of those yeah. things that, that fantasy players have been doing for like four years now of like, oh, Kenley, Jans- Kenley Jansen's not that good. He's going to lose the job this year. And like, if he's back in Los Angeles for any amount of money, he's going to be the closer. Yeah. Um, yeah. He kind of had a bounce back season, too. Yeah. In, in terms of velocity and, and strikeout rate and everything, he looked, he looked, he lo- it, it, it looked like he had kind of regained some of what he lost, which, which yeah. maybe meant he priced himself out of the, what the Dodgers are comfortable with. I don't know. Uh, I do want to mention O'Neill Cruz's strikeout rate specifically last year in the minors was better than I thought. It was, it was over 20%, but it wasn't like bad. Um, so I still say he's not going to hit 281. Well, if he hits that but, steamer projection, I mean that's that's a similar projection over 150 games to like probably not that far of what Cedric Mullins is projected for. Right, like you're talking about a second round player. Right, if you right. really hit 280 with a 30 homer, 20 steal pace. So yeah, that's really really aggressive. That's better than a lot of highly touted prospects get from projection systems. So mm-hmm. I would if. If O'Neill Cruz hits 260, it would that would be optimistic to me. Like if he does that, he's probably going to have a great year. But I, I wouldn't count on more than that. And, and I would just caution that you know it's not that dissimilar to Cabrian Hayes last season, where I mean we saw Cabrian Hayes actually for a little bit more than we saw. I mean, mm-hmm. what he got like 90 plate appearances. So you know we actually had more to go on and. Brian Hayes kind of fell on his face. Injuries played a part in that too, but you know, Pirates haven't had the best track record when it comes to their young guys of late. Next up, we have two starting pitchers who have similarly moved up 
and into a, a close range as well. Steven Matz up 28 spots. John Gray up 28 spots to pick 257 and 263, respectively, for those two starting pitchers. Steven Matz signs with the St. Louis Cardinals, who have the best defense in baseball. I think they had like three or four gold glovers this past season. And then uh, John Gray signed a four-year deal with the Texas Rangers. We get him out of Coors Field. We still don't know exactly what that's going to do to his pitches and his movement and you know his ability to bounce back I mean it's just so weird going from Coors Field to anywhere else in baseball so we'll, we'll see how that affects him overall but I mean there's always been hope that if he got out of Coors Field out of Colorado that you know there could be more on the horizon here for John Gray so Chris I'm putting you on the clock who would you rather have Steven Matz or John Gray I think John Gray kind of has to be the answer just for the potential strikeouts that he would bring to the table that Steven Matz probably can't. You know, it's interesting. John Gray has always been one of those if we just get him out of cores, uh, but he's actually been slightly better for his career at home. So it's always been hard to know what to make of that. But we know about the course field hangover effect. We know about just how much pitching at course field in general you know, kind of changes the way you have to pitch. So I don't know if you can just say, well, he had a 465 ERA on the road for his career, so he's probably not that good. I think he's a really talented pitcher, um, and I do think he's someone who probably, like, 250, you're talking about one of your last-round picks in a 12-team league. I would say that's a great way to spend that pick, and I would be surprised if that's what he costs, especially, you know, after last season making his slider – you know, really his, you know, it's always been his primary second secondary pitch, but he almost threw it as often as his fastball last season. And that is a really, really good pitch for him. So that could be a big thing, especially playing in what is a pretty good pitcher park. Big hope for John Gray. And I've, I've seen, I've seen, um, I've seen Eno Saris say this too. So this isn't just coming from me. I think Eno Saris is smarter than me. So I was, <laughs> I was comforted to it. see him saying the same sort of thing I was saying, is that to succeed at Coors Field, John Gray kind of had to neuter what made him such a big prospect in the first place. He really had to simplify his arsenal mm-hmm. and um, his approach uh, just because certain pitches don't work the same at Coors Field. You know, it's, it's, uh, that, that's, that's really the bigger problem for pitchers than even... Uh, the whole Babbitt issue that's created there. So um, he's been doing that a long time and no idea if he's even capable of recapturing what he used to have before joining the Rockies. You know, obviously just leaving Coors Field is a good thing too. I, I imagine usability, it'll probably be there for him. He'll be at least a streamer type because he was practically that in Colorado. But like, there is this chance that he rediscovers what made him this third overall pick out of college and uh, and really takes off. I, I think there's there's a chance of that. I actually like each of the starting pitchers we've mentioned to this point. I, I like Matt's too. I, I don't think he has as much upside as John Gray, but I think a pretty high floor, especially with that defense behind him. I like Alex Cobb, as I mentioned, and, and John Gray with that strikeout upside. Scott, who would you... Rather have of those three, Matt's Cobb, John Gray, Cobb, and I. I really don't understand the Stephen Matt's thing. I. <laughs> there, there are some people who swear he should be in my top forty starting pitchers, and we're disappointed Matt's, that I left him out. I, do these people realize Stephen Matt's is thirty? 
<laughs> I, I don't know. I don't think he should be a top 40 starting pitcher, but look, at the end of your draft, you're drafting for upside, right? No doubt about it in my mind. John Gray and Alex Cobb have more upside than Steven Matz. I think if you're doing yeah. you know, deeper drafts right now and you're looking for someone who has a safer floor later on in your draft, I think Steven Matz can be that guy. He's battled injuries, yeah. but for the most part, I think he's going to give you a high threes ERA, a serviceable whip, you know, just under a strikeout per inning. Again, with a really, really good defense behind him. So I think he'll be able to... Marco Gonzalez good, potentially. The, thing, the yeah. thing that's tough about him is he... His he shares a lot of similarities with Andrew Heaney in terms of his approach. They both throw sinkers. Chris, don't wish that primary fastballs. Don't, don't wish that evil on Steven Matz. Come on, Chris. They throw sinkers up in the zone, which actually leads to a pretty high whiff rate for their sinkers relative to all sinkers. But it's still a sinker, and you're still throwing it high in the zone. So that's why Steven Matz and Andrew Heaney that plays a big part in why those guys are so homer prone or tend to be at least. All right, I've got a few more risers that I want to get to, really the, the ones that are moving up the most inside of the top 150. But before we get to that, I want to thank everybody for listening and watching us. Um, if you didn't know, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash fantasy baseball today. You hit that little notification bell and you'll get a notification every time we either go live or we drop a new video. Uh, and uh, for anyone out there who's not you know, following us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, we, we would appreciate that. So uh, thank you very much. And a reminder that we have a FBT reunion coming on tomorrow's podcast. Adam Azer, Nando DeFino joining Scott White and myself tomorrow. So again, I don't know how much fantasy information you're going to get out of this one. We're going to have some fun. We'll play some games. But uh, yeah, definitely uh, be around for that because it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Let's take a quick break. When we return, uh, we'll get to the rest of these risers on Fantasy Baseball Today. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. All right, so the biggest movers inside of the top 150, Justin Verlander up 22 spots to pick 107. Let's move a little bit quicker on these so that we can get to the fallers as well. Uh, Scott, I know your thoughts about Justin Verlander. Chris, we had we haven't heard from you all offseason regarding him. Um, Verlander is going to be 17 months removed from Tommy John surgery by spring training, obviously 18 months by the regular season. The number one overall player back in 2019. How far do you think that this could actually climb? He's approaching the top 100. Yeah, he'll be 17 months removed from Tommy John surgery. He'll be 39 years removed from being born. <laughs> um, but yeah, the last time we saw him, he was arguably you know not the best pitcher in baseball because Jace, Jacob Degrom exists. But as close as you can get, and given the volume that he gave you, that that's the concern though is the volume, right? Coming back from the injury, given his age, there's so many question marks. But I think he can be effective. It's just really hard to see him giving you that 220 inning season, which is something we've, you know, kind of, I don't know if come to expect, but certainly come to understand as part of Justin Verlander's range of outcomes. It probably isn't this season. And so how effective can he be coming back? Impossible to say. An impossible player to rank. We know how good he can be, but I don't know. Are there any, can you guys think of any comps for a 39-year-old coming back from Tommy John surgery? 
If you gave me long enough to, probably, but uh, not on this. Well, oh, maybe like Chris Carpenter. I don't think he was quite that old, but mm, yeah. um, he came back and had a really good season in his late 30s for the Cardinals. But yeah, I mean, even 200 innings would be a record for a pitcher first back from Tommy John's surgery. I think Steven Strasburg has the record. Or no, wait, it's Matt Harvey. Matt Harvey has the record for innings from a pitcher back from I Tommy John's. I think either Johnson. one of those is the comp you want. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, yeah, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, Steamer, okay, Steamer has uh, Verlander for 175 innings. I think that's probably optimistic, um, but we'll see. I mean, as long as whenever he's been healthy, he's he's been a well, workhorse in the past. That's the thing for me is like, it's probably not going to be 175. Probably not. I think it's probably going to be either less than 100 or close to 200. Like, it's, it's really hard to see a middle ground there unless he you know, sprains his ankle and misses a month. But yeah. in terms of, like, it either goes disastrously wrong or it's probably pretty good. Yeah, I, they have some depth there. They have Christian Javier in the bullpen who they can use as a starter, too. So if they want to come up with, like, a phantom IL stint or maybe, you know, skip him through the rotation a few times, maybe go six-man to kind of, you know, keep him fresh and space him out. I, I think those are all possibilities for the Houston Chris Carpenter Astros. nearly won the Cy Young in that first season back. He finished second, 192.2 innings, 2.24 ERA. So that 192.2 innings was technically more than Harvey had in the year. I'm thinking if he had 187-ish. But he threw but, a pitch in the playoffs. But, well, actually, I just think it was Carpenter came back late the previous season, so he wasn't full, uh, okay. He wasn't immediately back from Tommy John surgery. Uh, Chris Taylor is the next one up here. He's moved up 19 spots to pick 141, which I think makes sense because Corey Seager has signed with the Rangers. Um, so, you know, Taylor should play every day. He was very good this past season. I don't really know that there's much more to add on him. So we will move on to Tyler Stevenson, who's up 17 spots to pick 147. Scott, do you think that this is maybe uh, moving up too aggressively inside the top 150? Obviously, Tucker Barnhart was traded away back in November and, you know, Stevenson has some prospect pedigree and, you know, could potentially be hitting in the middle of, I don't think a great Reds lineup, but it's a great <laughs> place to hit. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to see where I have him ranked real quick. I have him 184th. So versus 147. I mean, that might just, that, that, that's, that's, that's pretty high. That's pretty high. 147 is about where I have. You've got catchers generally kind of high. I noticed in going through your rankings. Well, if you're saying you're that about shots. me and I have him 40 spots lower than yeah. the ADP here for Tyler Stevenson, that's uh um, that really says something. So, yeah, he's a breakout candidate, but, uh, you know, his, his, his batted ball data wasn't as impressive as the actual production in his yeah. split role behind the plate with Tucker Barnhart. And, uh, I, I think people are being a little too optimistic with this ranking. I, I, I won't be drafting much of Stevenson. Like I, I'd rather have, Mitch Garver and just hope he stays healthy then uh, then bank on this breakthrough for you know bank on Tyler Stevenson becoming more than just part of that blob of catchers that uh, fills out that rounds out every mixed league roster you know the it, the Sean Murphy's of the world you know him, it, him being part of that group because he last time we saw him in the minors really was 2019 when he was 22 years old and played 89 games and had a 782 OPS, which is not that far off from what he did last season. We just don't know what happened in the intervening time. 
and whether you know he developed, whether he stagnated. But the underlying stats from last season, like you said, Scott, not particularly impressive. And um, I, I think he's probably like 150-ish sounds way too high for Tyler Stevenson. I didn't like most about him was the ground ball rate, 49.6% last year. But you look at his minor league profile, and he never really hit that many ground balls. It, he's routinely hit a lot of line drives. So I think there's a chance that those ground balls can come down a little bit. And then maybe as a result, we see a little bit more power. But yeah, even with that, I think this is uh, probably an optimistic rank on Tyler Stevenson. The last one I want to mention is Josh Bell, who has moved up 11 spots to pick 134. And I think early in the offseason, people just kind of looked at his his you know surface level stats and didn't realize that uh, he was awful in April, like a lot of hitters were. And then from May 1st on, Josh Bell was awesome. 279 batting average, 25 home runs with an 865 OPS. So if he can just kind of carry that over uh, heading into next year, then I think he's actually a fine value where he's going at, at pick yeah. 134. But you know yeah. what we say. What do you say? Full season statistics are more predictive. <laughs> but April was just so crazy. Like, nobody was good except for... Ah, oh, crap. The example's not thinking of me. There, there's, <laughs> there's like this one player who was awesome ooh, in ooh, April. I got it. It was J.D. Martinez, Scott. Yeah, yeah, that works. That's not who I'm thinking of. But yeah, <laughs> they, there was somebody who... Oh, um, you're mean Mercedes. That's who I was thinking of. Oh, like, he was the only guy who hit in April, basically. <laughs> and then he was terrible the rest of the way. But yeah, the underlying um, numbers for Josh Bell are still strong. They're not quite 2019, but yeah. still didn't strike out much. Still hit the ball really hard. I do want to take a look at his splits and see how that... Well, he was fine against lefties last season. Yeah, he's typically bad against lefties, and at the start of the season, he wasn't playing against them. Ryan Zimmerman was playing um, for him. But yeah, as the season went along, he, he actually got a lot better. A, who knows if Zimmerman's going to be back. B, we're hopeful there's NLDH. C, they started playing Josh Bell in the outfield late in the year, which is what he <laughs> primarily played in the minors. So. Yeah. Clearly, they were more invested in getting his bat in the lineup. So that's, I don't know. I may be, I I, I may do it for a third straight year. Tell everybody to draft Josh Bell, <laughs> even though it's let us let us down the previous two. Uh, I I wouldn't say that it let you down last year, Scott. Yeah, I, I, people I dropped him with him, but people yeah. dropped him. Right. Yeah. yeah. I I had him in deeper leagues, and and I held on to. I mean, you know, you don't really have a choice there, but you know, he he yeah. came through. He was he was very good. I think he's fine. You know, if he's Someone you wait back on, you know, back end starter for first base or a corner infielder yep. in, in a roto league, perfectly fine with that for Josh Bell. Let's hit on some of the biggest fallers here. And uh, very obviously, Max Muncy has fallen 58 spots to pick 160 during this stretch. And we just don't really have a clue when it comes to this UCL injury that he's dealing with. Uh, you know, there was an interview. He went on MLB Network back in, I think it was either October or November, and he said that He's not healing as quickly as he wanted to. And he also revealed that it was a partial tear of his UCL. So these are <laughs> all pretty scary things. And it makes sense that Max Muncy uh, is falling. And I think, Scott, he'll continue to fall. Yeah, I moved him way down in my rankings. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to need to see him looking right in spring training before I move him back up. And um, I'm, I'm not optimistic. That being said... You know, Shohei Otani was pretty awesome hitting through a fully torn UCL. 
Uh, Glaber Torres had a torn UCL and had Tommy John surgery. He came back and was the same guy. That was as a prospect. Um, mm-hmm. Did Miguel Sano have Tommy John That's, when he was a prospect? That sounds familiar. Salvador, Salvador Perez had Tommy John yes. when he was closer to Max Muncy's age, and he's looked yeah. better than ever since returning. Came but back, the, yeah. the, the issue is lost time more than anything. Well, now, 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 they couldn't Muncy do like had the surgery. What? Munzee hasn't had the surgery. Right, exactly. So it just kind of lingers over him, and, and you don't know. You don't know when they're going to shut him down for the year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or he no. may not. Or he may not. And you, you bring up the Otani example, and if there is the DH in the NL, maybe they'll, they'll just play Munzee there all year. But if, if, if they were that, if they were thinking his UCL isn't going to let him play the field, they would have just, he would have just had the surgery at the start of the offseason, right? So I don't know. I don't know. It's, yeah. it's messy. I think there's a chance where if this goes too far the other way, and so it's you know over the past month and a half, he's dropped 58 spots. I would assume that continues you know to, to drop further. Then, you know, I mean, if you can kind of pick him up as a bench option and then just kind of wait on it and, and see what happens, then I think it, there could be profit on that. So uh, just keep that in mind. But obviously we need more information when it comes to Max Muncy. This one's kind of interesting. Vidal Brujan. He's a prospect with the Tampa Bay Rays, and he came up last year for a short period of time, and I remember the first game he played, I think he got a hit or he walked, and then he stole second base, he stole third base, and we were all like, oh man, it's happening for Vidal Brujan, and then it didn't happen for uh, (laughs) Vidal Brujan. He has dropped 45 spots to pick 328, so more of a late round option, a very late round option, but... uh, It just doesn't really make sense because Joey Wendell was traded from the Tampa Bay Rays back in... November, uh, he, he went over to the Marlins. So I'm not saying there Vidal Bruan's going to play, but there is at least a chance. There, there's a chance that there's playing time available here. So um, I don't know, Chris. This one's kind of interesting for, with Vidal Bruan. Yeah, I mean, part of it was he hit the seven home runs in May of last season and then got called up. And so it was like, oh, boy, is he, is he really, like, taking a big leap? And then he hit five more home runs the rest of the season, um, including the majors. So... It's it's really tough with the Rays because you never know. Even if they if he breaks camp with the roster, is he going to be an everyday player? But I, I think the skill set is interesting enough with the speed, especially that if it looks like he's going to be on the roster on opening day, three twenty eight is should be a steal. You know, like Miles Straw is going a lot higher than that. Yeah, Miles Straw is a leadoff hitter as opposed to. Sure. What I expect Bruhan to be, even if if he is on the club, which is utility guy. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is actually pretty close to where I have him ranked. It's like seven spots behind where I have him ranked. Mm. Three twenty one. I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of a Bruhan downer because yeah, I mean the 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 hopes for power development quickly evaporated last year, and so you're talking about a guy with good contact skills who's really really fast and, and that's just not a profile that you see get much playing time in the majors these days particularly not for a team like the rays i think they'll value his defensive versatility but i i don't see him getting tons of playing time could be wrong that's that's just uh on that on the, in that organization especially i just i i think people are a little too optimistic there well, maybe not anymore. I don't know. <laughs> um, a few others here that I'll mention, but don't really want to talk much about. Carlos Santana, forty. He's dropped forty-four spots to pick 
477. He played through a quad injury the final two months of the season. And prospects are coming. Nick Prado, we talked about last week. Vinny Pasquantino is a first base slash DH type prospect as well. So uh, there are many on the way for the Kansas City Royals. I think it, it, it looks pretty bad here for Carlos Santana. Chris Paddock has dropped 43 spots to pick 411. Ton of injuries last year ineffectiveness, not really sure what his role is at this point. Is he going to be in the rotation? We know that the top four uh, spots are going to be occupied by Musgrove, Darvish, Blake Snell, Clevenger, as long as those guys are healthy. And just before the lockout, they were close to signing Nick Martinez. Nick Martinez, ring a bell? Yeah, I mean, he used to pitch for the Texas Rangers a couple of years ago. He went over to, I believe it was Korea, reinvented himself, was really good there, and now kind of has this like Miles Michaelis thing going on where he's trying to work his way back into the majors. They were close to signing him, and it sounded like they wanted to use him as a starter. So I really just don't know what this does for uh, Chris Paddock. So time will tell there. Brandon Marsh. he could use a, a change of scenery. But I will point out, his curveball was actually really good last season. He only, he still only threw it about 12% of the time, but it was actually 36% whiff rate, uh, 225 expected Woba allowed. Maybe he's too fastball reliant. I yeah, can't remember who we were talking about yesterday, but they're, I can't remember. But <laughs> it's hard to be effective throwing your fastball 60% of the time. And he's got potentially two useful, and including one elite, secondary pitch. Yeah. So, uh, look, glass half full. <laughs> if you want to try to pick this guy up in like a deep dynasty league, you can probably get him for nothing right now. Is, yeah. yeah. That's it's free. Chris, I had a lot of Paddock last year, so I, I watched him, and he was just, he was bad, man. He just, yeah. he had nothing. It was, there was no confidence, no conviction in his pitches. He just, mm-hmm. it's like, this was someone who relied on pinpoint control, and he just didn't have it. He, like, missing spots within the zone, and, and then when he did that, he would get hit hard. It was just, it was yeah, it was rough I, to watch. I think he could use just, like, a, a new sceneries. Trade him to the Marlins. <laughs> That's what everyone likes to do, right? Uh, Jesus Lazardo actually just probably took him. sign Jorge Julio and trade him back. <laughs> yeah, that's true. He was originally a Marlin. That's true. Uh, I just took Jesus Lazardo in one of my drafts, so hoping hoping for a bounce back here. Oh no, it was Fernando Rodney, not Jorge. Oh, Fernando Julio. Rodney. Sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah. Oh man, uh, a few outfielders here. Brandon Marsh has dropped forty three spots. A lot of strikeouts last year. Does have some prospect pedigree. Little power, little speed. I think that one's. Kind of interesting. Not really sure why he's dropping, but he is dropping. Aaron Hicks, another one. He's dropped 42 spots. He's going very late in drafts right now. A uh, bunch of injuries, but as of now, the way the Yankees roster is constructed, he would be an everyday player until he gets hurt right now. So I don't, we'll see what happens uh, once once the lockout ends there. Jameson Tyone, another one. Thirty. He's dropped 30 spots. Scott, I think people just didn't realize that he's likely not going to be ready for opening day. And on top of that, he wasn't really great last year either. Yeah, he wasn't. It was a it was a disappointment. He he did reinvent himself in the ways that were promised. More four seamers, uh, good spin on the four seamer. Going just off memory now, um, but the results weren't there. He wasn't getting strikeouts really, and yeah, I, I don't have that much hope for him anymore. The biggest moves inside of the top 175 picks, Lance McCullers has dropped 38 spots to pick 167, and we're still waiting to learn more about this 
this arm injury that he's dealing with. He got shut down in the postseason with a forearm injury. Obviously, you know, he's had a bunch of arm injuries in the past. So we're, we're really just kind of waiting to learn more about this situation. But Chris, it doesn't surprise me that Lance McCullers has dropped this much. Yeah, I think if you draft him, it's with the intention of him being a, a bench or late, you know, low, low end starting pitcher who, you know, if you get 20 great starts out of him, if you get 20 good starts out of him, you're thrilled with that outcome. Um, so that range seems fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, Luis Severino, Scott, not really sure what to expect from him either. He, re- he returned last year. He made some relief appearances, actually pitched in the Yankees wildcard game against the Red Sox, and uh, he looked pretty good in that game, but he's dropped 22 spots to pick 175. I have a theory. I think people early in draft season, they just saw the name Luis Severino and they got excited and they drafted him and then they realized, all right, well, you know, he's coming back from all these injuries. We haven't seen him in a while. And so now it's kind of taken a little bit of a step back. What do you think about Severino? Usually people forget about the Severino types. Um, I I have him, so he's 175 since the lockout and he was going 22 spots earlier. So I actually have him about where he was going earlier. I don't think that was too high for him. I don't think it's a like. Is it a slam dunk? Have the Yankees said yes? He's a part of our rotation to begin next year. I, I don't think. I don't think that's the case. And, and obviously, if I, I'm assuming it with the ranking, but obviously, if it turns out not to be the case, I'll be downgrading him quite a bit. Yeah, I think that's the the. It's a fair assumption as of now. Uh, Rasa Resource has obviously Garrett Cole, Jordan Montgomery, Luis Severino. Nestor Cortez and Domingo Herman to start the year. And then whenever Jason yeah. Tyone is ready, he'll, you know, jump into that mix and whoever between Herman and, and Nestor Cortez will, will probably get removed from the rotation. But yeah, I, I would say Severino is safe. At least I think so. Uh, yeah. I mean, that's, he's still in the prime of his career and he was top 10 type pitcher in fantasy before he got hurt. So I don't know. I, I think, I, I think uh, you know around 150 where I have him is is a is a solid enough discount to to take a shot at that kind of upside. Yeah, I love the like l- bottom half of the t- top 200 or bottom like 150 to 200 range where you can take that flyer on Luis Severino, take that flyer on Noah Syndergaard. I, I like that that range quite a bit. Mike Clevenger a little earlier maybe. Um, but I, I like the idea of taking shots on those guys in that range. Let's say a 12-team league, Chris, what would you be comfortable with those guys as? Your like, SP5, the last pitcher in your starting rotation, or, or more as like a bench option? I think it would be really fun to get one of them as your SP5 and then one of them as a bench option. Just cause the, the upside potential for that is really, really high, and it'll cost you very little. Yeah. I mean, your typical... 12th to 15th round pick in a 12 team league your typical player is going to bust you know you're not going to get much from those guys those guys are potentially drops so i think uh yeah i love the idea of taking mike mike clevenger uh did i mention him as well yes mm-hmm. yeah um so yeah i think that's a that's a that's a good plan i'm going to do quite a bit of that The last one I want to talk about, Chris, you were big on Ian Anderson last season. He has dropped 14 spots since December 1st down to about pick 145. So it's not a huge drop, but, you know, about a round. And I think people are are really just kind of deep diving him and and realizing that 
while he had a 3.58 ERA, everything, all the underlying numbers were much worse. And uh, the, the strikeout to walk ratio was just not nearly as good as it was the, the year before. So where are you at on your boy Ian Anderson? Uh, higher than the consensus, or at least that ADP. Um, I think he's a fine pitcher in the 10th round range. I think, you know, probably a number four in that range makes sense. He is, look, he's super young. We've seen one partial season and then one almost full season from him. He's made 30 starts overall. He's got a 325 ERA and a 1-2 whip. I think he's really talented. I think he's got some really good secondary pitches. And, you know, yeah, he wasn't great last season, the underlying numbers especially, but I don't know. I think it's a it's a it's a worthwhile bet on talent when it's that cheap. Like you don't often see twenty three year old top prospects who have succeeded in the majors dropping to the twelfth round or the tenth round range. Yeah, this could turn out to be a mistake. If it's kind of just a leap of faith pick where maybe you don't look as at the underlying numbers as much. It's just you watch him pitch and, and you could tell that he has pretty good stuff. So uh, Scott, what do you think about that? Maybe kind of turning a blind eye to to the XFIP the Sierra for Ian Anderson and, and just kind of taking that leap of faith. I am not ho- so hopeful that there's another step for him to take, but I think he's a solid pitcher just as he is. I mean, it, it's not that big of a leap of faith if you treat him like a floor play, ton of ground balls, about a strikeout per inning. Uh, that That's, you know, that, that's going to be a st- guy you're starting more often than not. And then if, if he is able to... Uh, find the right pitch mix to take advantage of that changeup more. Use maybe use the curveball a little better. It's a pretty curveball to to look at, but he uh, it's not a big like it's not a put away pitch for him the way the changeup has been. So you know maybe I'm not, but I, I I'm saying at his cost you don't you're not even really counting on a step forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the the thing is. One thing that I think is interesting about him is the changeup was a new pitch for him last season. He didn't really have that coming up as a prospect. He was a fastball, curveball guy. And so the fact that the changeup is this good, and it's a weird changeup. There was a really good piece on on fan graphs about uh, his changeup and how different it is from nearly every other pitcher's changeup. But if he can figure out you know, a way to make that curveball a little better, like Scott said, I think he could take off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if he can ever find a way to, to lower the walks too, I wouldn't bet on it because you know, that's basically who he's been even throughout his minor yeah. league career. But if it ever were to happen, then obviously that's how we could see Ian Anderson take uh, an, an even further step forward as well. We're going to wrap there. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today. We'll be back again uh, tomorrow with Nando and Adam. It's going to be a riot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.